Hello and thank you for joining me. I'm Louise Harmby and in this episode I'm reading the introductory chapter from my guide How to Brand Your Editing Business which is also included as part of the multimedia course Branding for Business Growth. Overview. This guide shows you how to build an editorial brand identity that makes you stand out from the crowd, one that's infused with the flavour of you. Once you know how to put the you-ness into your business, you can spend less time bragging about yourself and more time showing your ideal clients how you can solve their problems and what potential customer won't like that. Branding is a journey. I didn't implement my own guidance all in one go. It was a process that took several months and I'm still making the odd change here and there. And that's the thing, as our businesses develop, we can gently tweak to enrich an existing message or even shift the story we tell because we want to move in a new direction. With a foundational branding framework in place, it becomes easier to make those changes purposefully. That saves us time and empowers us to move forward without fear. What is a brand? Many people think of a brand as being an identifying mark of some sort, like a logo or a name. This guide moves away from that type of thinking. In fact, a name or a logo is an important form of brand communication, but it's not the headline definition. Instead, think of your brand as what others feel about you. Pro marketers Andrew and Pete have this to say from their book Content Mavericks. A brand is the gut feeling that people get when working with you. By allowing more of yourself and your company values into your brand and displaying them throughout everything you do, the quicker this will work to resonate with and attract the type of clients customers you want to work with and repel the rest. They go on to say, a brand is essentially what people say about you when you're not in the room. This means you can never control your brand because it's what others think and feel it is, not what you say it is. But you can influence it with consistent messaging across all communications. So that influencing comes in the form of a brand identity. Emotions versus logic. Emotions are hugely important because without them we find it difficult to make even seemingly simple decisions. Want some figures? The internet is awash with the message that 80% of decision making is emotional and 20% logical. However, of the 30 plus articles I read, not one cited any studies offering empirical evidence, so I'm reluctant to throw those figures around carelessly. I suspect that some clever marketers decided to take some neuroscience research and blend it with the Pareto principle. So instead of focusing on stats, let's look at that neuroscience research. Antonio Damasio found that people who'd experienced brain damage that left them able to function well intellectually, but unable to experience emotions, were severely incapacitated when it came to decision making. Furthermore, he theorised that the brain's emotional processing happens seconds before the reasoning, acting as a kind of filtering, assisting the deliberation by highlighting some options and eliminating them rapidly from subsequent consideration. Think of it as a biasing device. Now if he's right, in effect we've already done a big chunk of any decision making using our emotions before the processing of logic has even begun. And so, given that our potential clients must decide which editor to hire, you're more likely to be chosen if you trigger the right emotions first. Here's an example. If the homepage of your website puts your qualifications, awards and years of experience, in other words lots of factual information, front and centre, you're appealing to logic. Hire me because it makes sense. I've done this and that and the other and I'm the best editor in the world. If, however, that page features a message that gets under the client's skin and makes them feel something, for example, a sense of hope that by being edited by you they're more likely to succeed in getting their first article accepted into a peer-reviewed journal, you're appealing to emotion. 
Hire me because I've got your back and can help make your academic dream come true. Notice that in the first example, the focus is on the editor and their achievements. In the second example, the focus is on the client and the benefits they'll reap. Why any old editor is a weak message. Put yourself in your client's shoes. Imagine them saying, the article I'm submitting to the Journal of Microbiology needs checking. If it's not up to scratch, my submission could be rejected. This is a big deal for my academic career, so I need to get it right. Better hire an editor, any old editor will do. It's not likely, is it? They're more likely to pick an editor whose science specialism, understanding of the reputational power of academic publishing, and passion for supporting scholars glows from every pixel of their website. Someone who makes them think, that editor gets me and my problems. They seem to understand how important this is to me and what it could mean for my career. I really hope they're available. That emotion plays a pivotal role in decision making is good news for editorial business owners because it's difficult to stand out when you're competing on logic. Think about how many other editors offer the same services, have similar qualifications and have done similar training courses to you. There are lots, I suspect. I know a ton of editors who specialise in fiction editing, have a degree and studied with a publishing training centre. None of those things will have my potential clients itching to hit the contact button because I'm so different. If instead you can nudge a client into experiencing certain emotions or gut feelings when they land on your homepage, you're helping them to decide. You're moving them away from the any old editor message. Case study, sealing the deal. Even when a potential client has made contact and asked you to quote, a strong brand identity will work for you. Here's a lovely case study from an editorial colleague who got in touch with me to let me know how well an emotion-based problem-solving approach had worked for her. She says, I closed a lucrative deal because a man writing a memoir had sections that his wife did not want him to share. I explained how I could flag those sections and suggested alternative content or how he might consider writing under a pseudonym. He was so pleased that I'd gone the extra mile and he signed on. She goes on to say, I've used your approach and it has really contributed to the growth of my business. I'm booked through till December with excellent, lucrative work from very prolific and nice clients who pay in advance. Their work is of higher quality than some of my earlier projects. Now, what's important here is that the editor isn't just treating the quotation process as an opportunity to give a price. They're using it to evoke emotion. It's great brand practice. I don't know exactly what the client said or thought when the phone call ended, but it was probably something on the lines of, this editor gets me and is sympathetic to what I'm trying to achieve and where the sticking points are. This memoir is personal and I feel I can trust this person with it. This editor has actively built the solution offering approach into their brand identity and it's paying off. Remember, you're not trying to persuade clients that you're the most highly qualified editor on the planet. Instead, you need to trigger emotional responses. If you're a fiction ex editor, for example, these might include making the client feel safe, reassured or less anxious because you've communicated that beginners are welcome in your editing studio or making them believe that you and they share fundamental values because you've communicated your passion and respect for self-publishing, indie authorship and the right for anyone, whatever stage of their journey they're on, to write and publish. Or making them experience a sense of hope and excitement because you've communicated an understanding of their end goal and how working with you will help them achieve that. Those emotional responses are what branding is all about. I'm not suggesting you should focus only on emotion, but rather that the factual information you include should be infused with emotional nudges that reinforce it. Digital marketer Ryan Dice frames his ideas in terms of before and after states. He says, 
Average marketers only articulate what a customer will have if they purchase their product or service. Great marketers speak to how a customer will feel, how their average day will change and how their status will elevate. The size of the market. Consider also the size of the market. If you're no different to anyone else in a tiny market, you're playing the supply and demand game. If you're no different to anyone else in a medium-sized market, you're playing the lucky dip game. If you're no different to anyone else in a global market, you're playing no game because you're indistinguishable at best and invisible at worst. When you create a strong brand that's infused with the flavour of you, the size of the market becomes less relevant because you're not competing on the basis of logic, you're competing on the basis of the, the emotions that you can evoke. Show don't tell. Many of you will be familiar with the phrase show don't tell, especially those of you who work with fiction. It works beautifully for branding. For example, showing a client how professional you are is far more convincing than telling them. Showing a client that you're sensitive and approachable is far more impactful than telling them. Showing a client that you're experienced has more of a wallop than telling them. Strong branding is all about showing, such that other people feel it in their bones. Most editors' websites don't show, they tell, and the telling is me, 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 their experience, their qualifications, their training. If you can use your brand identity to embed the essence of your Eunice into your website so that you make the client feel the me, 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 the telling can be about the client, their problems, and how you're ready to solve them. That's a far more exciting proposition. Jim Camp explains this in a somewhat combative tone, <laughs> but the point is well made. You don't tell your opponent what you think or what's best. You help them discover for themselves what feels right and best and most advantageous to them. Their ultimate decision is based on self-interest. That's emotional. I want this. This is good for me and my side. The decision not to get in touch. Of course, branding might mean the decision doesn't go your way. You might trigger emotions in certain people that put them off. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so, and for two reasons. First, Branding is about pulling in more of the good fit clients so you don't need to work with the bad fit ones. And second, a potential client might not be ready to get in touch now, but could be sometime in the future when certain conditions have been met. If the right emotions have been triggered, you'll still be top of mind. Andrew and Pete in Content Mavericks argue that a brand that tries to make everyone happy will be so diluted as to attract no one. In other words, bland. On the flip side, a brand that resonates with your core audience, your best fit clients, will work harder for you because it will compel the right people to get in touch with you, commission you and tell other people about you. Building a brand identity. I'll show you how to build a strong and coherent brand identity so that you can create those emotion triggering messages that will nudge the right clients towards that elusive gut feeling or put another way, make them feel what you want them to feel. A brand identity will enable you to draw in exactly the kind of people you want to edit for and repel those you don't. This framework focuses on the following components. The profile of the anti-you, the editor you are not and never want to be. I call this the monster. The profile of your ideal client, the client you want to attract and would love to work for. I call this the angel. And the profile of you, the principles that underpin you and your editing business. Once you know what each of these elements looks like, you can craft a set of brand values that are present at every touch point of your business. These can be used to inform your brand mission, visuals and voice. The whole caboodle is your personal brand identity. 
And during my own branding journey, I found that these elements were not distinct. Each one informed the other. And so while we'll look at each on its own, we'll complete the process by bringing them all together. Why you should bother one, retaining control. There are other benefits aside from hooking your ideal clients. Recall how I said that a brand is what others feel when they think about you, what they might say about you when you're not in the room. If you haven't worked on crafting a brand identity, you're putting the control in everyone else's hands. You're letting them decide what your business values are, what makes you tick and who you're passionate about working with. Do you really want all that power to rest elsewhere? Do you want other people deciding what your you-ness looks like, sounds like, feels like? By building a brand identity, you take control and nudge people in the right direction so that the gut feeling they experience is something you've crafted. You become the whittler rather than the wood and your clients are more likely to feel what you want them to feel. Why you should bother too? Making life easier. Crafting an editorial brand identity might seem like an awful lot of work, but it will save you time, I promise. Doing the work now means you'll avoid having to make myriad tiny decisions later. The brand identity framework will help you make quicker decisions about the following. Visuals, for example, logos, colours, fonts. Message, for example, website copy, social media profiles, emails, queries, editorial reports. Voice, for example, the language you use and the tone of your message when you're engaging with clients and colleagues. And finally, visibility. For example, how you'll make people aware of your business across multiple platforms. Why you should bother three, brand stickiness. People aren't always ready to hire their editor straight away. It might be an issue of budget or of the project not yet being ready for an editor. Or perhaps the client simply can't decide whom to choose from the thousands of editors available. If you can find a way to get under the skin of that client and engage with them, you're more likely to be remembered. That's because a strong brand identity makes your business sticky. What do I mean by sticky? Here's a little personal story. I met my husband when I interviewed him for a job at the publishing company I was working for back in the day. I don't remember what he was wearing or the answer he gave to the first question I asked him, but years later, how he made me feel still sticks in my mind. Fortunately, a colleague was involved in the interviewing process, so I let her decide whether we should hire him. The point is, though, how people make us feel is memorable, sticky. A strong brand works in the same way. It turns us into forget-me-nots. And we can leverage that stickiness so that even if we're not hired in the moment, we're increasing the chances of being remembered later. Regularly creating branded content accelerates the process even more. That's the end of this reading. I hope you'll think about reading the rest of the book. It's available in print on Amazon and as a PDF direct from me or as part of the course Branding for Business Growth. Bye for now.